Yeah, um, mobile is the hottest topic right now. Uh, just being able to take advantage of what's happening on mobile devices. Mm -hmm. And if you as a retailer can figure out how to get your conversion rates up on mobile, yeah. then you can start really exploiting some new advertising options aside from just search engine marketing and some of the other things that everyone is already doing and it's starting to get really expensive. Um, so if I was a retailer, my main focus would be just focusing on mobile and making mobile work because that's really going to be the future going forward. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show where we interview founders of fast-growing seven- and eight-figure e-commerce businesses and e-commerce experts. They'll tell their stories, share how they 2 x their businesses, and inspire you to take action in your own online retail business today. And now, here he is, the man in the mix, Kunle Campbell. This episode is brought to you by Remarketing. Remarkity is an email marketing platform specifically built for e-commerce businesses. With Remarkity, emails are automatically triggered by shopper behavior and purchase history. With a few simple clicks, Remarkity allows you to recover abandoned carts, win back inactive customers, make product recommendations, deliver newsletters, and a whole lot more. In other words, emails you will send through Remarkity will be highly targeted with glaring improvements on your open rates, click rates, and most importantly, conversions. You're also able to track revenue generated from every single email sent by Remarkety. Try Remarkety absolutely free for 30 days, no credit cards, and no contracts. To sweeten the deal, 2x e-commerce listeners can get Remarkety for 30% off an entire year using the coupon code PODCAST30. That is coupon code podcast three zero visit remarkity.com to learn more remarkity is email marketing for e-commerce simplified hello hello 2xers welcome to the 2x e-commerce podcast show and you know this is the podcast to tune into for inspiration and actionable tips to grow and scale e-commerce businesses I'm your host, Kune Campbell, and you know what? I handpick the guests that come onto this show to share their expertise and experience. My criteria is pretty much based on one question. Can my guests provide valuable information and insights to help you, my listeners, rapidly grow metrics such as conversions, average order value, repeat customers' traffic, and ultimately sales? And if they can, I try my very best to get them on the show. Before I introduce today's guest, um, I'd like to talk about a few things that have been going on um, prior to, to this episode, um, between the last time you heard from me and, and today. Um, I was speaking to Mike. Um, he's the producer. Um, he's he's the audio post-production. He, he manages the post-production team um, called Quarter After Production um, for this show. And he had we had a bit of um, a quabble in regards to um, how to increase the listener base of um, you know of shows on on iTunes, and you know I was talking about reviews, and he said it's pretty much subscribers based on his expertise. He, they manage loads of um, other shows, 
And um, I just, based on that, um, I just want to ask you for two things if you're listening to this show. Um, if you're a regular or um, if you're listening to this show for the first time, um, if you're listening from iTunes, could you do two things, please? Could you hit the subscribe button if you haven't already? And could you also leave a review? Even if it's a two-sentence review, it would take you 30 seconds, but it would immensely help the show. Just subscribe and then review, okay? And besides that, if you know anyone um, who's growing an e-commerce business and you think they would benefit, you know, um, just point them to the direction of a particular episode of this podcast you think will be helpful to them. I was talking to a fashion e-commerce founder, one of the founding members of a fashion e-commerce business the other day, and he was like, Kune, we'd really like you to come over to our office to talk, um, you know, fashion e-commerce, how to grow our how to grow our business, talk about influencer marketing and all that kind of stuff. And I said, you know what? You know, I recorded an episode, um, I think it was 53, just before we even have this conversation, go on to that that episode and listen to it and tell me what you think. You know, off the back of that, they would be so empowered and it could take the conversation a lot further by just listening to that episode. Okay, so so yes, um, if you know, I think what's really strong is just spreading the word. If you think this is good stuff, you know, just spread the word. Another thing I wanted to talk about is kind of like activities and my my coverage, basically what I've been up to. So quite recently, I wrote an article for Crazy Egg. I'm just going to look for it now. It's called The Anatomy of the Perfect Mobile E-Commerce Checkout Page. I put in blood and sweat into this one. I think it's um, about 2,700 words. But besides the words, it's highly, highly visual. I pretty much um, deconstruct the elements of what a mobile checkout should look like and the principles, you know, the holy grail of of a mobile checkout. It is very, very detailed. I've got really, really good feedback from um, loads of my friends and colleagues in in, in e-commerce, in the e-commerce world. I would advise you you have a look at it. I'm going to link to it from the show notes. If you're you know browsing, if you're listening to this show on your phone, if you just scroll through the show notes, you, you will find a link to this article. It's on crazy the Crazy Egg blog, and um, it's called the Anatomy of the Perfect Mobile E-Commerce Checkout Page. Um, the key, 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 holy grail, which I said is uh, I was summarized by saying that all the tests and improvements that drive the implementation of your mobile checkout should hinge on two principles. The first one is how quickly you can get or move shoppers through your mobile you know, checkout. And the second is how easy can you make the experience? That's a core philosophy, in my opinion, and um, it trickles down into very 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 small detail which you should go through i think i gave about 16 ways or 16 ways to improve a mobile checkout with visuals every single example has visuals okay so that aside um i recently was um featured on 
ecomhacker.com. So it's ecom, E-C-O-M, hacker.com. And um, it was... I was part of like an expert roundup and like the most important e-commerce trends of 2016. I was, I was asked to give my five cents on what, in my opinion, I thought um, was kind of like the hottest topic for smart and ambitious um, e-commerce retailers. And in in my opinion, I'll summarize my. I was I was put alongside really impressive. And people that I, you know, I respect, and for that. Um, besides that, um, my core advice was squeezing as much from your existing customers. You know, so the savviest retailers, if they haven't been doing this already, um, in order to double your business or even triple your business, you will figure out the strategies and tactics that form that that inform that strategy on how to drive repeat business to your store and the core way of doing this really is through just behavioral you know marketing and life cycle marketing and if you really want to sort of get into into lifestyle or life cycle marketing um, I would advise you check out episode. 31 where I spoke with um, with Ometria and it was it was quite interesting in terms of my conversation there but I think like you know um, my opinion is retailers online retailers that really want to grow that sort of you know figured out the whole customer acquisition you know side of their business they, they understand what it costs to acquire customers both from a paid and an organic standpoint and, and they think they're they're kind of on top of their game or they're you know um in the top tier um in, in in their industry then um the key thing is delivering loyalty long term and being top of mind so so that th- this is my five cents anyway so just head over to ecom hacker to to read about that article and then I also wanted to talk about um, a webinar sort of cock up uh, that, that occurred, um, you know, earlier in in, um, in December. I um, put together a fantastic content around semantic keyword research for e-commerce and, and SEO, and um, I I ran this live webinar and. Um, running on go to webinar i i crashed that my computer crashed i tried again i tried to fire it up again and it crashed again and i didn't have any other co co-host so so for me i've just you know closed up on that platform pretty much and i'm gonna start to um you know figure out another platform really so um yeah i'm, I'm gonna rerun the webinar it's called semantic keyword research for e-commerce i think it's really important you understand the concepts of um, semantic keyword research and and that's what you know that that um, webinar will be about i'm going to rerun it i'm going to change platform and then i'm going to rerun it and let everybody know about it i'll just i might just give a word um very soon on on the podcast about it and then finally um let me know if you want me to run a course i'm i'm building out um Something really interesting, um, really, really interesting on 2xecommerce.com, which is going to be about education for you guys, for, for people in the e-commerce industry. 
Anyway, um, without further ado, I'd like to sort of um, give you a background on my um, my guest on, on this episode. This episode is exciting. Um, well, his name, first of all, is Chad Ledford, right? And he is very interesting in the sense that he's a successful entrepreneur in e-commerce who moved into SaaS when the time is right with good timing. And now he's such a good CRO expert. He's building out a really, really interesting platform called Ad Shoppers. You, you, I'm quite sure 50% of people listening to this now would, would have heard of Ad Shoppers. Um, Chad, the conversation I had with Chad, I took notes. I I asked more questions than I thought it, you know, I, I'd ask. I thought it was going to be about 30 minutes. It turned out to be an hour-long conversation. It was interesting. I'd advise that if you're looking at social, you would not view social commerce, that social media with e-commerce, you know, and you will not view it the same way after listening to this show because it shed so much light on the need to understand who your customers are and what they're doing on your site, you know, and the power of mobile. Um, so what I'll just say is I will leave you to listen to the rest of this show, but um, grab pens, um, grab a pen or grab, grab a sheet of paper because you will take notes um, on, on this one for sure. I'm running a webinar with Ad Shoppers um, in January, but, but damn, you know, I, I didn't think the podcast would be this good. In, in my opinion, there were some really what I call ninja tips, you know, Chad, you know, um, drops here, which, you know, they're, they're worth their, their weight in gold. So, um, yeah, I, I would um, like you to, to listen on to this show. Have a good one. Hi, Chad. I'm particularly excited to have you on the show because I typically have one of three kinds of people on, on 2x e-commerce. I would typically either have a founder or, or an owner of a successful e-commerce business, um, a SaaS provider to e-commerce, to the e-commerce sector, or a proven expert in, you know, special, special discipline in, in e-commerce, you know, who sort of grow an e-commerce business. But um, I'm privileged to have you here because you're you're all three of them wrapped into one. Um, you've run quite a successful e-commerce business. You've run a, you're running a SaaS business that serves the e-commerce sector, and you're a digital marketing CRO expert. So so welcome to the show, Chad. Great, yeah, thanks for having me. Brilliant, good stuff. Okay, so could you take um, a minute or two to to kind of tell our listeners um, about um, yourself, please? Sure. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Chad Ledford. I'm based in Charlotte, North Carolina in the U.S. Um, so I've been a in the e-commerce world now for a little over 10 years. Um, and as you alluded to, we our first business was a, an e-commerce business, and now we moved on to a SaaS provider. Um, and even before the e-commerce business, I've always been selling something. Um, so actually started off selling socks out of the back of a van. So if you want to hear the backstory, I can, I can throw in the backstory here as well. That, that would be interesting. Let's talk about socks, about your, your sock business. Let's go to the very beginning. Yeah, so I guess this was probably close to 
18, 19 years ago. Um, but my grandfather has been in the hosiery industry. So North Carolina in, in general used to be known for furniture, hosiery, and tobacco. Okay. So my grandfather was part of that early industry. And then it was in high school I decided to – this was after I got my driver's license. But my grandfather had a bunch of socks. So I loaded up a van full of socks and went door to door. So I would go to like – insurance agencies or hair salons and things like that and sell socks door to door. So I, it was actually pretty successful. I'd make like a thousand bucks a week, um, just selling socks during the summer. So not not too bad. With With zero dollar dollar inventory, it's, it's not bad at all. So, so those were the seeds. And then you, you, um, you started three Taylor. That's um, number three Taylor dot com. Interesting name. Um, why three Taylor dot com? Yeah. So actually, our first e-commerce website was the sock website, and then we ended up expanding into a few other categories. So we moved into futon covers, weather stations, and we ended up with about forty different niche dot coms. And then um, whenever Google decided to change their algorithms and devalue having keywords inside of your domains Mm -hmm. we decided to move everything to one centralized.com so we took the 40 different websites that we had and then consolidated those to one generic name so three tailors sort of like e-tailor or a spin off of the retailer um and it was just sort of a mass dropship website gotcha 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 Gotcha. interesting really really interesting okay and um you three tailor was a niche online retailer you focused on like 50 this is stuff i grabbed from your profile by the way 50,000 yeah. products on 17 websites that's a whole lot of product to manage were you drop shippers or sorts or first of all you're managing 17 websites and you know 50,000 products um tell us a bit about um that please yeah so we never had intentions on having the catalog that big <laughs> whenever we first started we usually had around uh, maybe 100 or 300 SKUs for each domain. And we started off early with OS Commerce, but we were one of the first adopters of Magento um, whenever that started to become popular. So it was definitely a struggle taking that many SKUs. We actually, before we sold it, we ended up with over 250 distributors who were selling, um, and it was a little over 200,000 SKUs that we were managing on Magento. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot, a lot of back-end indexing and database things that we had to do, but the, the basic idea was we got really good at connecting suppliers into our platform, mm-hmm. and it wasn't necessarily a marketplace, but we always treated it like a marketplace, so mm-hmm. we would get an order, it would get sent to the distributor, they would ship it out on our behalf, and then we would sort of sit in the middle as the drop shipper. Makes sense, makes sense. And um, what kind of team supported um, this this massive operation from, from my standpoint? <laughs> yeah, we always kept the team really lean. It was uh, me who, I was more on the marketing and operations side, and my co-founder, John, was more on the development and also helped out with operations. But we also had two engineers, one designer, and then mostly a team of client success people on the front end. Okay. So we always kept the marketing and engineering team at the smaller side around five or six people. It's pretty lean, pretty lean for, for what you managed to achieve. Um, cause, um, in 2011, you were an Inc 
500, not a 5,000, 500 company and a top four retail company in the same year. Um, yeah. Um, what kind of revenue were you doing in 2011 on, on three Taylor? Yeah, I think in 2011, we were probably in the three to 4 million range in, in revenue. So yeah, it was, it was a drop tip business. So the margins were always more slim than you would want them to be, but mm -hmm. we got really good at the automation side of it and really good at growing the revenue through adding new distributors and things like that. Yeah. I, I kind of like the philosophy you took on with regards to, you know, almost envisioning it as a marketplace where, you know, you, you dealt with the technology and customers and then you, you, you made sure they dispatched. Um, from a dropshipping standpoint, did you have any issues with customer service? Because, um, you know, customer service seems to be a recurring issue with, um, with dropship businesses. Yeah, drop shipping you you can't control anything after you get the order, so you have to make sure that you have great partners for that. Um, and with any of our drop ship partners, we almost always had some sort of drop ship agreement where they had a service level that they had to maintain um, and a few other things just to make sure the quality was there. But you definitely lose a lot of tracking and accountability and inventory tracking and things like that mm -hmm. once you decide to do drop shipping. Okay. 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 And um, you add shop so so um, the lifespan or up until when you sold Three Taylor, which was in 2013. So you started Three Taylor in 2005, sold it on in 2013, which is about three years, eight years, sorry. Right towards the end, um, you had a problem, and Ad Shoppers was kind of the solution. Um, I believe Ad Shoppers was founded in 2011. Could you tell us a bit more about this problem you had and how the technology behind Ad Shoppers seemed to solve the problem and why you decided to, you know, sort of build a, a new company, a SaaS company, off the back of um, that problem? Yeah, the the basic problem was that in the early 2000s and mid 2000s, whenever we were running our e-commerce business. If you were really good at search engine marketing and you were able to rank for things and really get it pay-per-click, you could drive a pretty solid business. But around 2010, you started hearing more about companies who were taking advantage of things like Facebook and people who were seeing traction from Twitter and some of these other social networks. And I, I know it sounds crazy now, but at the time, no one was really... They, they haven't really figured out how to make money from social networks. So we saw this as a new channel that was up and coming. And there were companies like Groupon and Rulala and others that were popping up with this real sort of social focus. So mm -hmm. what we did, we couldn't find a product out there that we really liked. So we decided to start building one as um, just sort of a side project. Okay. And then we released it to some friends that we had in the industry so that they could try it out for a while. Um, and then... From there, it, it just kind of started growing. So our passion has always been on the technology side and creating platforms and places where people can sort of gather around an idea and help grow that idea. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of the early days of Ad Choppers. It was a need where we saw this up-and-coming channel but had no idea how to make money for it for our business. Okay, so, so how did you kind of marry commerce with social in the early days? It's still a challenge today. Um, but in 2011, I would, I would have thought that, you know, it must have been a monumental task for, for, for you to, to solve, which is what entrepreneurs are all about, and, and your team to, to sort of build. Um, so 
what kind of results did you see from social media? Where did you see, what platforms were you trying to explore and, and what kind of initial problems did um, ad shoppers as a platform kind of solve? Yeah, so the initial problems were basically just getting an understanding of what's actually happening. So for example, if someone comes to your e-commerce site, is anyone sharing out your brand? Are they talking about your brand? And what we found since launching the company is that to really get the most out of social, it has to be ingrained in pretty much everything else that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Because to the customer, they don't see social as a channel. They just see it as another thing that they do during the day, whether it's them checking their email or seeing an ad somewhere or interacting with it. But for us as a marketer, we like to kind of put things in silos. Um, But with social and the way that it's integrated into your marketing strategy, it really has to be kind of plugged into everything. So for example, with social login, having things like sign in with Facebook on your website, once a customer signs in with Facebook and you as the retailer are able to capture that information and push that back into your email provider Now you can start to do things like uh, a birthday campaign because you were able to capture their birthday from that. Or now you know that this group of people are male and this group of people are female, so you can send them different promotions from your email marketing. And then you can also take into account any kind of signals that these people are giving you when they're on their site. mm -hmm. So a basic example would be if someone's on your site and they click a Facebook like button, they're showing a lot more intent for that product than somebody who just looked at it. So tying that into your Facebook retargeting and your um, other type of retargeting that you're doing so that you can show those people more ads or more relevant ads based off of what they said they liked. I'm pretty excited with um, with all the points you touched on here um, from the social lock-in. I, I actually see... Well, let me let me ask you the question. Um, yeah. So, which would you prefer um, at the point of registration—a social login or um, email asking for for email addresses? Yeah, I always prefer social login because mm-hmm. it's one less password that I have to remember, and mm-hmm. everybody seems to have different criteria for the type of password you have. So, I probably have in my brain six different passwords. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you always have to go through and remember which one you use whenever you go to sign back uh, in. And stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, you know, watching shows like Mr. Robots, it's it's not really difficult to to figure it out once you know someone knows one, uh, you know, a hacker knows one. But okay, going back to social logins, um, there are two sorts of challenges I see. Um, one is the deployment of social logins. Um, obviously, when you have um, a robust system such as Magento, it shouldn't really be a problem, I suppose. But what about other sorts of um, email platforms out there from um, the more basic, um, well, I wouldn't really call it basic, but from the, the more service-driven, um, driven the SaaS um you know, email providers like Shopify, Volution, and the rest of them. Um, how flexible are their systems to, you know, support social lock-ins? Um, yeah, that's first question. Yeah, any of the ones that you host, so the Magentos or OS Commerce or systems that you can download and put on your own servers and you own the code base, those are always easier to deploy a solution like social login. Okay. Um, a lot of the SaaS solutions, so like the Shopify, Big Commerce, and those guys, they're getting better at opening up their API so that you can create accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have connectors for all those, but that's been pretty recent over the past 12 or 18 months that those guys have actually started to open up their APIs where 
providers like us can connect into their systems. Okay. Um, second question is the optic. So um, what does your data tell you? Um, so I'm a consumer. Um, I'm 25. I'm not really 25. I'm 25, um, male, um, and um, I like shopping. Well, I, I'm 25 male, and I'm shopping on a fashion site, and I have two options to register, a social login or email. What does your data say I'm more inclined to um, use to register my a new account on, on that website? Yeah, so in general, if your audience is under 40, so anyone from that 18 to 40 range, they're going to be more likely to use social login. I think we see anywhere from um, if you have social login available, and social login would include sign in with Facebook, sign in with Google, um, sign in with PayPal, Amazon. If you have a couple different solutions or options like that, you're going to see close to 60 or 70 percent of people use those options. If your demographic is older, so if you have an audience that's over 40, that number is going to drop down to the 30 to 40 percent range who are comfortable actually using it. Well, that's, that's significant. That's phenomenal, actually, um, especially given the data you're able to tap into, birthdays, male, female, that demographic, you know, um, yeah, that, that is an opportunity not to be missed, basically, um, from a, especially fashion, um, fashion e-commerce and, um, you know, um, gift retailers. Awesome. Okay, good stuff, good stuff. Um, so with AdShopper, your um, from, from your website, it's a social commerce and analytics platform. Could you further sort of break down your current value proposition to, to listeners, please? Yeah, so with our platform, our basic value proposition is mm -hmm. that we help grow your average revenue per user. Mm -hmm. So we break that down into four different categories. So we have ad analytics, which is going to tell us what's happening on your website. Okay. And then we have ad social, which is about plugging in social infrastructure. So that's going to include things like sharing buttons, social login, trending content. Um, and it's more just infrastructure pieces that you need to run your store. Mm -hmm. The next piece of that is called ad referrals, which is about incentivizing customers to perform some sort of social action, mm -hmm. whether that's using the social login buttons, sharing out with their friend or referring a friend back to the store. Mm -hmm. And then the last piece of this and the one that we're really excited about is called ad targeting, okay. which is about treating different customers differently based off of what we know about them. So sort of like you were just saying, whenever someone uses social login, they're giving you access to a lot of data. Mm -hmm. And with our ad targeting products, we can show different promotions to customers based off of what we know. So if you come to our site and it's your birthday, then we can show you a pop-up modal or a banner that says, happy birthday, here's a promotion to get $10 off. Or if we know that you're a male or a female, we can show you different promotions based off all the data that we've captured from social login and sharing. Mm -hmm. And just clever things like, you know, um, if you know I'm female and, you know, a fashion retailer, you know, why not just redirect me to, to the female section of the website? You know, why am I doing, you know, why do I have to make a choice every time I get into to the website? So with regards to the bad, so what other ways can you sort of target messaging to or messages to um, shoppers besides um, the exit? Are these are exit intent banners or? So we have some mouse out technology where it'll show promotions to people 
as they are showing some sort of intent to leave. Um, And we can personalize those modals and things that people see. Um, Yeah, but, but we take that a step further. So for the targeting piece of it, there's basically two different ways to personalize or to target people. There's cohort targeting, mm-hmm. which would be things like anyone who comes from Facebook, let's show them this promotion. Or anyone who comes from email marketing, let's show them this promotion. Mm-hmm. And then the next part of that would be one-to-one targeting, which would be super or hyper-personalized targeting based on an individual. So Mm -hmm. if we know you're a male and it's your birthday showing you this promotion, so Mm -hmm. it's more of that one-to-one targeting instead of cohort targeting Mm -hmm. based off of where people came from or if they're about to abandon their cart. Mm -hmm. That makes perfect sense. Um, And the the primary way of, you know, um, sort of communicating with shoppers is, is through these exit models. Is, is that that's what's in is, is that right or um, are there yeah. other ways of most of most of the clients we work with aren't huge fans of modals anymore mm-hmm. I think consumers and marketers in general they've just seen too many pop-ups in their life and they're mm-hmm. getting used to just xing those out um, so it's not limited to just showing a pop-up or just showing something really a that takes up the whole screen. Uh, you can show different types of banners or you can show like a bar across the bottom of the site or mm. some sort of slide out and things like that. Mm. So there's a lot of different styling options for how you show people things. Okay. Uh, it's not limited to just modals. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. The reason I was asking is um, if you were or you have plans of moving into to actual messaging to, to emails because um, I've had a few providers on the show that um, they're, they're into this, you know, personalization and um, one-on-one marketing and cohort targeting um, and just understanding customers better. Some of them are missing what you guys have, which is the social element, uh, which is quite interesting nonetheless. Um, but um, a lot of them are moving into um, messaging, um, actual emails, you know, one-on-one, you know, emails, um, which are almost automated in, in that sense. Um, so, so that's why I was asking. Um, from uh, in into today in twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen, if you guys are going to listen to this in twenty sixteen, um, from a social media uh, from an e commerce standpoint, um, does social media drive significant revenue to e commerce direct revenue? I mean, yeah. So social is one of those channels that sits at the the top of the funnel for a lot of retailers. So if you look at any traditional last click tracking tool like Google Analytics or something along those lines, it's really hard to get a good picture of how social is performing Mm. because it kind of gets lost in the mix. Um, And especially whenever you pull in a mobile device. So, So one quick example, a lot of retailers, whenever they look in their Google Analytics now, they're going to see a line item that says, direct traffic and that number has probably continued to go up over the last 48 months and the reason isn't because people are going there and typing in your brand more the reason is that they're on a mobile device and whenever they click from Facebook on their mobile device it opens up a browser types in whatever that URL is in the browser and then goes to the page so it looks like it was from a direct typing source Mm -hmm. so if retailers don't have a way to be able to track from the app back to their actual website. So if you're looking in Google Analytics and you're trying to figure out what social is worth, 
you're basically giving no credit for anyone who comes from a mobile app and comes to a browser landing page on a mobile device. So whenever someone asks the question, usually if you look at your historic numbers, it's going to say nothing. But once you get some sort of decent tracking in place and you get a pretty good attribution model in place, then you can start to establish exactly what social's worth. So let's assume that now we can track people on mobile devices and now we can track people on desktop, but it still takes people 40 or 50 days before they actually complete a conversion because social is really good at driving traffic to people, Mm -hmm. but a lot of retailers don't know how to get that traffic converted because what will usually happen is they come to the site, maybe they give you their email address, and then they go on to whatever they were doing. And then three weeks later, you as the brand launch some sort of promotion and you get that customer back to the site. So it looks like email marketing should get 100% attribution for that order. No. But it was actually social that drove the person to sign up for the email and want to learn more about the brand. Yeah. So if, if the retailer has some sort of attribution model like that in place, social can be anywhere from 15 up to 50% of the revenue, mm-hmm. depending on how they're attributing that and how much credit they're giving back towards social. So I suppose your, your, your better attribution model would be the first attribution model. What's your preferred attribution model in, in analytics for, for sort of you know, measuring your ROI? Yeah, I, I like to give um, 25% credit for the first interaction and mm-hmm. 25% for the last interaction. Okay. And then everything else is distributed evenly with the touch points in between. That's so um, that's usually how I look at it because I assume the first one, we want to do more things to get people at the top of the funnel and mm-hmm. we want to do more things to get people at the bottom of the funnel. So the things in the middle, we can just keep kind of layering out over time. Okay, okay, okay. All right, really, really good stuff. Really good stuff here, Chad. Okay, now Ad Shopper works with 10 i didn't realize this um because i've i've sort of you know be, prior to today i've you know come across ad shopper a number of times you know um probably four or five times but the fact that you have ten thousand online retailers you know um as customers that's a huge customer base um how has it sort of grown from its inception in 2011 to to to, to date that's about five years thereabouts less than five years actually four years Yeah, so the first year we actually spent mostly in development and we had around 20 people using the product. And then we originally released it as a free product, so just Mm -hmm. anyone could use it and we wanted to see if anyone would use it. So (laughs) we made it free. We had the 20 people the first year. We grew that to over 1,000 people who signed up and started using it. And then it was actually in year three that we broke that 10,000 number um, and now we've gotten probably over 60,000 who've signed up for the platform. And it's live on probably that, uh, I think around 15,000 websites total. So there's a lot of people who have just kind of signed up but haven't really done anything with it. So okay. that's why we've kind of stuck with that 10,000 number. But a lot of the growth that we've gotten has been from platform partnerships like Shopify, Big Commerce, and mm. some of these guys. They've all. They all kind of see the need here, um, and none of them are building it into their core product. So mm. they've done things like feature us on their blog and gotten us in front of their customers. 
clients and they've all been great partners good stuff and you know it's, it's just fascinating this marketplaces and you know and, and, and these um on shopify and um pollution what, what, what they can do and um, you know actually build an ecosystem around um these e-commerce or e-tailers so to speak okay so that's really phenomenal so but are you only do you only work with online retail businesses or um do you just does ad shoppers work across the board can i have it on my wordpress blog for instance yeah, we actually have a really popular WordPress extension that uh, it's actually a WooCommerce extension, okay. but it also works on uh, WordPress. Uh, so I would say that 80% of our users and clients are traditional e-commerce companies, okay. but we have started building out use cases in other industries like uh, travel, digital downloads, media, nonprofits, and a few mm-hmm. other places. Uh, obviously, like we talked about before, my background and John's background is e-commerce, so that's mm-hmm. where we wanted to start. Okay. Uh, but over the next three to five years, you'll see us pushing into more categories, and we'll have things like ad shoppers for e-commerce and ad shoppers for nonprofits and okay. other verticals. Because okay, I noticed the Economist is was one of your clients, and um, just wondering how they use it today. Isn't it e-commerce store or um, right across the board? Yeah, they have it on several of their subdomains where they offer subscriptions for like GMAT testing, um, like GMAT prep courses Mm. and things along those lines. So it's still a traditional checkout. Okay, okay. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Right, um, another quite prominent feature, which I find quite exciting um, because it's... It's down to referral marketing. Um, I, I have a client and I keep banging my head um, with them because, um, you know, I just tell them. So they um, sell quite high ticket items and um, they pretty much um, will not have customers, you know, come back to them for the next five years. So, you know, the obvious thing is to work out a referral marketing, you know, program, which they're yet to sort of, you know, action. But, you know, the step ahead of, um, of referral marketing really is influencer marketing. Um, and it's quite prominent on, on, on your website. And the fact that um, you can, um, well, you guys work on influencer marketing, finding and leveraging you know, influencer marketing. My question is, how can e-tailers leverage influencers to reach out to the audiences of these influencers? What, what tactics are you seeing from uh, the... 15,000, you know, clients you're, you're having, what kind of trends and what does your data tell you? Yeah, the, the biggest trend and the best way to get customers to refer you is to ask them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a lot of retailers, obvious. they, it's super <laughs> obvious, you'd be surprised how many people just never ask their customers to do it. So mm-hmm. step one would obviously be to enable your clients or your um, your customers the ability to share out and usually get some sort of incentive. So an example would be like what Groupon did where you can get $10 for your friend and $10 for you. Okay. So they had one of the most successful referral mm-hmm. programs and basically used that to grow their entire business. But that we found that was that expensive. Sorry to question. Yeah, I mean they spent a ton on customer acquisition because I mean most of the Groupons that you would buy were only fifteen to twenty dollars, so mm. they would almost always lose money on their first order that any customer placed. Mm. But at the same time, it got people in the door, and it was cheaper than running TV commercials and mm. some of the traditional advertising. Um, 
So most retailers out there aren't going to be able to do that. We all haven't raised 50 to $100 million to buy customers, basically. Mm -hmm. So once you figure out a promotion that is profitable and something that you can run, the best thing to do is offer the same promotion to the friend as well as the advocate who originally shares out. And then from there, it's about integrating that into the entire purchase process. So the best time to ask for a referral is right after someone's placed an order because people traditionally want to either brag about what they just purchased or mm -hmm. they want to get confirmation from their friends that it was a good idea. Mm -hmm. So while your brand is top of mind, you want to have something. We have a purchase sharing app. So right after they place the order, the retailer can give the customer some sort of incentive to share out and join and become part of that referral program. Yeah. So a couple other things that you can do is include links in your order confirmation email, um, your order delivery email, the any kind of follow-up series that you have in your email marketing. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of our clients continue to promote at least once a month throughout their social channels. Some of them even take it a step further and retarget people who have completed a purchase to mm -hmm. get them back to the referral program. Mm -hmm. um, but once you have something in place that people can share out and talk about and get some sort of incentive, then it really is just asking them to do that and keeping it top of mind, whether it's a packing slip, an email, or a banner that that person sees. Okay, so right through the funnel, even post um, post post purchasing, you know, just reinforcing the, the referral program on you know packaging and the rest of them. Okay, um, would you suggest um, a dedicated refer friend page in a referral scheme or referral campaign? Yeah, it's always better to have a dedicated landing page. That way you can link to it from your email marketing and social media and things like that. And you'll be able to track how many people are coming to it, signing up and activating from there. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Um, I've always wanted to ask, because um, I, I can't recall, there was a podcast I was listening to a while ago, a long while ago, and um, this chap was um, kind of, you know, um, sort of, well, he was experimenting on um, offering, um, in, well, gamifying referral marketing prior to checkout. So he, um, what he was tinkering around with in a store who was manually trying to do this was um, before I check out, I, um, something pops up and says, you know, um, you know, you can get 25% off or 10% off this, um, this order. Um, just share on social um, and yeah. say you, you share on Facebook, you get 10% and then you share on Twitter and then you get another 10% off or 15% off and then that just makes it 25%. And then he gets it, he's told all his friends anyway, and then he checks out. Is is that, what do you think about um, that approach? Is is it viable or, um, or not? Yeah, it's... It's a good way to identify who people are. Mm -hmm. It's not really a good way to drive incremental traffic and referrals because most likely the person they're going to refer is themselves. So <laughs> what, what we typically do is most retailers have some sort of uh, email promotion for new customers who come to the site. As mm -hmm. soon as you land on the site, it's going to say something like, enter your email to get $10 off your first purchase. So... Usually the best strategy is instead of just giving them that for an email, mm -hmm. if you pair that with them sharing it out on social media, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. you're still able to capture their email address and their data, but you're also getting that incremental share pre-purchase. Okay. So if you're going to do a promotion, just make sure that it's one that matches sort of what you're doing on the email marketing side to grow your list. Mm-hmm. And if you want to amplify that with social, then you can do that pre-purchase. But a strategy that we've seen work even better than that mm-hmm. is tying it into a contest or a giveaway. So if you want to do something pre-purchase that drives referrals, mm-hmm. the best thing to do is to run a contest. So an example would be someone comes to your site and you're giving away a $100 gift card each month. So customers can enter the contest. So maybe they enter using sign-in with Facebook or they enter by sharing out something. Okay. Once they're entered, they're added to your email database. Now, it's not like they're referring themselves, but if they do refer, then if they share out the contest, you can say something like share out to get an additional entry into the contest. Mm. And then that's going to drive more people back to the site, so it's going to help grow your email list. And that's really the way to view pre-purchases, more of like a, a customer acquisition in the sense of capturing more emails or capturing more customer data for people who are coming to the site. Yeah. And it's going to have better success with increasing referrals post-purchase because that person's already placed their order and now they just want to talk about it with all their friends. Absolutely. That's ninja. And um, given the fact that you're building out your email database anyway, I have a, I have a question. Um, you, you mentioned something earlier, which is um, when they share the contest, you, you get their email address. Um, yeah. Do they need to log in and then share? or Because um, if you share Facebook, I could share anything, but you know, um, the publishers or the owner of the contents I share don't know, you know who I am. So, so how does that work from your site when you share a competition? Um, how do you get their email address if they just share the competition on their Facebook? Yeah, so initially whenever they share out, we ask customers to approve the Facebook app so Mm. that we can capture who they are. If they decide not to do that and then they share out, then we'll ask for their email after they share out because that's the only way that we can let them know if they won the contest or not. So you either grab it pre-share or post-share. Okay, 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 okay. I love the gamification, you know, um, hack there. Now, um, how easy is this solution? Um, um, How easy is it to execute um, with AdShopper? Shoppers, sorry, AdShoppers. Yeah, no worries. Um, So it's... I, everyone's going to say that it's super easy, but it's really <laughs> super easy. So there's there's basically there's two JavaScript codes that you have to drop into your template. There's one that goes on the footer of all your pages, and okay. then there's one that goes on your checkout success page. And those two JavaScript codes power the entire platform. Mm. And then each individual application, so social login, for example, is one additional code that you put wherever you want those social login buttons to show. If you want to implement the sharing buttons, there's one code that you put where you want the sharing buttons to load. And essentially, there's different codes for each app that you copy-paste in. So for most of our clients, after we agree on some of the strategies and things that they want to tackle, um, we can pull together an integration guide that just has the codes that they copy and paste in. Okay. And from there, it's literally all copy-paste. And then any style changes and optimization and stuff like that is done directly from our system after those codes are in place. Okay, okay. So it's getting the codes in, putting them in your Google Tag Manager and you know, um, and then customizing further on. Cool, cool, cool. Right. Um, 
Okay, so we've talked about referrals um, and pretty much, um, you know, brand advocates. What about these, the 1% um, of influencers? Um, how do you sort of find them? How And how do you sort of um, build leverage off the back of, you know, these special, you know, one, well, there might be more than 1%, but this, these influencers um, and, and how's, how, yeah. What, what are you seeing and how, how do you sort of identify and leverage influencers? Yeah, so the, the key to a good influencer is someone who drives business results for you as the brand. So you don't want someone who has a big following who isn't able to drive incremental sales for you. Hmm. So the first step is just having some sort of tracking in place where you can see who the individuals are that are currently sharing out your brand and how they're sharing it out and if they're actually driving sales for you. And then once you know who those people are, um, we have integrations with a couple companies. One of them is Clout, where it shows us who are the influencers of our influencers. So you can actually see, okay, from the people who are coming to our brand and they're engaging with it, are there any recurring themes with news sites or bloggers or celebrities that those people engage with and follow on Twitter or Facebook or whatever else it is. Mm -hmm. So once you know who the influencers are of those people, then you can sort of tap into that audience and help scale it up um, by going to those people direct. Okay, nice, nice, good stuff. So you, you, you have tight integration with clout. Okay, all right, cool. Um, so what, in your opinion, is the least explored growth lever point you think e-tailers should be utilizing in 2016? Yeah, um, mobile is the hottest topic right now. Right. Uh, just being able to take advantage of what's happening on mobile devices. Mm -hmm. And if you as a retailer can figure out how to get your conversion rates up on mobile, yeah. then you can start really exploiting some new advertising options aside from just search engine marketing and some of the other things that everyone is already doing and it's starting to get really expensive. Um, so if I was a retailer, my main focus would be just focusing on mobile and making mobile work because that's really going to be the future going forward. Okay, let's let's scratch the surface a bit. Um, how do you make um, mobile? Um, do you have like a checklist of how to make mobile, you know, work? I think I I, I listened a bit to, to a webinar you run, which is around, um, um, you know, mobile, um, by the way. <laughs> Just prior awesome. to, to this call, so so um, do you have a checklist? Um, you know, retailers can sort of um, you know quickly just you know go through to to, to prep them themselves up or their sales up for um, for making sales off the back of mobile devices or mobile traffic. Yeah, the the biggest themes that you're going to hear with mobile are going to be one make your website, whether it's responsive or an app, make it really easy to use and really easy to buy from. So whether that's stripping out a lot of features and making it load faster and optimizing that total experience. Mm -hmm. um, and then the next part of that, if you think about companies like eBay and Amazon and PayPal and the ones that are having a lot of success right now with mobile, mm -hmm. it's because they're storing credit card information. So I know traditionally retailers have really shied away from securing and saving customers' credit card information because PCI compliance and things like that. Mm -hmm. But if you have a customer base that has a higher propensity for repeat purchases and things along those lines, mm -hmm. they really do want to store and own that customer's checkout experience. Mm -hmm. 
if you don't, then you want to partner with someone like an Amazon or a PayPal because customers already have their information stored there. Mm -hmm. So once you have a fast site and it's really easy to check out, the next piece of that is just optimizing the funnel on mobile because it's going to be different than the funnel on desktop. Whenever customers come to the site on desktop, it's easier for them to browse around and explore things. But on mobile, your focus should really be identifying who's coming to your mobile site or your mobile app and then giving your chance the ability to remarket to that person, whether it's through email or banner ads or some other channels, because odds are they're not going to check out within that first time going to your site. Mm-hmm. And it's not like they're going to bookmark your site on mobile or they're going to come back to it later. Um, you really have to identify who those people are and capture their email address. What what, what are your thoughts on um, scrolling and um, sort of like an infinite infinite pages, like you know, cat and category pages? I'm seeing the trend in the Wobby Parkers and the Made.com. So Made.com is, is a European brand. Um, very, they don't do pagination basically. Um, so it's just fluid. What are your thoughts on on, on that? On, on yeah, I think scroll. So. If you think of mobile, I think I said this in the webinar, but taps, so people having to tap on thing on the things mm-hmm. on their mobile device, that's essentially the new click. Mm-hmm. So if you looked at clicks on a desktop device and you were optimizing conversions on desktop, you would always want to remove how many things people have to click on before they can actually place a purchase. Mm-hmm. So by getting rid of things like pagination, and more taps that people have to do, you're reducing friction for that person to be able to check out. So if you look at any popular app, so if you look at um, Pinterest and you look at Facebook, they don't have pagination. You don't scroll through your news feed and then have to do next page to go to the next part of it. Mm -hmm. And when you're on Pinterest, you don't have to scroll and then do pagination to get to the next thing. So you want to replicate the experience that people are used to on mobile. Mm-hmm. And it's going to allow them to discover more of your catalog and more that you have to offer by getting rid of those things. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay. Um, finally, just to, to wrap this section up, um, conversion types. Um, you, well, I came across this, um, cookies, email, account registration, sales, and advocates. Um, could you sort of um, shed some more light on, um, you know, um, secondary, primary, you know, conversion types in e-commerce? You know, um, e-tailers listening to this um, show should be aware of, please. Yeah, so traditionally, and this was totally fine until about probably three or four years ago, but retailers would track conversions as someone placing a purchase. So, all the advertising that you did, pay-per-click, SEO, things like that, you would be able to say someone came from this ad, they came to the site, and then they placed an order. Mm -hmm. And that was fine, but if you're measuring that way now, you're going to be missing out on a lot of marketing opportunities and a lot of chance to grow. So what we suggest for clients to do is have some sort of conversion events for secondary conversions. So a secondary conversion, let's just assume that we want to track email signups. So if we can do a media buy on Facebook and we're able to say that for each email it's worth at least a dollar fifty or whatever that number is actually worth to your brand, mm-hmm. then it's easier to start running campaigns on things that sit higher up in the funnel like content marketing and um, media buys across different networks and things like that. 
Um, but really focusing on what those secondary conversions are worth, whether it's that email or being able to drop a cookie on someone who shows a certain amount of intent or getting a customer to create an account with your brand, um, whatever those conversions are, I know those conversions directly don't make you more money, Mm -hmm. but indirectly, how much are those worth? So if you said, if we got 100 new email subscribers over the next three months, we know at least two of those people are going to convert and it's going to be worth at least $200 then out of all those emails, we know that each one is worth at least $2. So by looking at some of those different conversion types and being able to assign those a value, you're not going to get it right the first or probably even the second time. But Mm -hmm. as you hone in on what those conversion values are worth, then you're going to be able to do additional creative marketing outside of just pay-per-click ads and PLAs and things like that. Because I I had an an aha moment when I um, came across that slide on on your webinar, which was, you know, you put, you assigned a value to each conversion type and the transition there was cookies, was a few cents, email, maybe a dollar or two, account registration, a few more dollars. Um, and in your in your side, the final was an advocate, but I think like a sale should come in and then you know advocate, which which is you know worth a lot more, you know ten you know tens of dollars, which just you know makes sense. Everything stitches together that transition and you know that integration. Okay, um, I just have one more question going back to to mobile devices, and um, it has to do with you know you talked about um finding out um who, you know. Who's, who, who comes on your mobile device, you know, on, on your mobile site? Um, is, is that where social, do you need a social layer to kind of tell you, shed some more light on that story and, and how, would you, how would you do it? Yeah, so are you referencing if someone comes from like Instagram or Facebook and then lands on the site, how do you know who those people are? Uh, um, yes, <clears throat> yes and no. Um, you, you know, you, you talked about um, the, the pillars pretty much speed checkout funnels and trying to understand um, the, the visitors on mobile to, to further optimize mobile as a platform. Um, but you know, I, I was wondering, how, how do you know um, who you know, who, who comes to your mobile website, you know, um, apart from analytics, it tells you, you know, it gives you more of a quantitative um, perspective, but um, do you need to go qualitative and, you know, um, go on cohorts to, to, to kind of understand, um, you know, um, better, to, to better understand um, the, the kind of shoppers or your kind of customers who are coming to your mobile site as compared to, to desktop devices or your desktop site? Yeah, yeah. Um... So any, any way that you can segment out the traffic, it, so if you're just looking at Google Analytics, you can always segment out that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's actually some up-and-coming companies who are setting up retail co-ops of data. Okay. So if you're a retailer and you have, um, obviously, your customer base and you know who your customers are, what they can do is take that customer's cookie or who that customer, their computer is, and then tie that back to an email address so that whenever that customer is on another retailer's website, they can pass data about that customer back and forth so that you can treat customers differently based off of not only what they've done on your site and where they came from, but what else they've done across other people who are part of that data co-op. So I think there's, there's obviously a lot of people who are still trying to figure out how to get more insights into 
like who is coming to the different devices and what those people look like. Um, I know one of our clients said that with some of the analytics that we provide and um, there's a lot more out there, but it's sort of like running a store with the lights off. You can count how many people you see and you can kind of see what people are doing, Mm -hmm. but until you're able to really turn the lights on and see what people are picking up and how they're reacting to things and what they're really showing intent towards, it's kind of hard to optimize that shopping experience because it's like running a store with the lights off. So um, it, it's a great question, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that going into this year and next year, especially because that's what's going to power the personalization piece. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a problem that has to be solved. It's, it's a great thing you, you mentioned intent because I'm actually going to ask you a question, another follow-up question. I, um, I came across an article today, I think it was from Adweek, and um, it had to do with um, Google um, claiming that um, basically Google says they want search intent. Um, well, let me, let me get read, really head in. Google says search intent matters more for marketers than user identity. What's your take on, on that statement? I thought it was a piece of PR because, um, you know, Facebook owns user identity and, you know, Google tried with Google+. And um, they're coming in here to say, um, yeah, it's more, more or less search intent. But what, what's your take on that statement? Yeah, to- I think I, it's a definitely a broad statement and they have a lot to win if they're right. But <laughs> I think that uh, customer identity in and of itself is just going to allow you to identify who the person is. Mm -hmm. But customer understanding and once you know, okay, here's the identity of that person, what do we know about that person in the past? So, for example, if they've ordered from other brands or if they've engaged with other brands in certain ways, people who look like that are more likely to engage with our brand in a certain way because – the reality is if I look at my 10 closest friends, we probably all shop at the same place and we probably all eat at some of the same places. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not 100% accurate, but it's a really good signal that I'm most likely going to go to some of these other places or buy certain things that some of my other friends have bought. So search intent is good because it lets you know that someone is looking for something, but it doesn't tell you ahead of time what that person is going to be searching for. So with and once you know who the customer is and you know other things that they've purchased and other things that they've like looked at and liked in the past, then you can start to get predictive about what that person is going to do next. Um, so Google does a really good job of that person already knowing what they want, searching for it, and then finding it. Mm-hmm. What they don't do a good job of is predicting what someone is going to like next. Like what's the next trend or what's this person most likely going to do and being able to predict those things. Yeah, yeah it's, it's quite fragmented at the minute. <laughs> let's, let's see um, what the future has, has to hold because um, Facebook has um, a lot of your, your identity. And um, with that, when you sort of aggregate that, um, it understands it has a social sort of map um and um that's more more or less and then it could create look-alike audiences as you alluded to earlier <clears throat> um whereas um facebook well google if you have an android device um you know has your location data and um yeah it has but it doesn't really know too much about you well give or take yeah uh, so we'll leave that for another conversation that could be for another show 
Okay, um, it's been fantastic, and um, now's the time for for our lightning round. Um, quick questions and you know quick answers. Um, so I'm going to start now with um, how do you hire people? Yeah, so the our best hires have always come from other people who we've already worked with. Um, but in general, the number one trait that we look for is the general person who wants to learn the most. So the general guy who just wants to learn as much as possible. Um, because if we take an expert who's already done something, they're going to come in with a preconceived notion of how things need to be done. But mm-hmm. we would rather have people who have been good at other things in the past and they're willing to learn and try new things whenever they come on board. Gotcha. Flexibility. What are your three most indispensable tools for managing ad shoppers as a founder? Yeah. Um, Obviously, QuickBooks is a good one um, <laughs> from a financial standpoint. Uh, but aside from that, we also use Salesforce to manage our entire sales process, and we use Slack for all of our internal communication. Awesome, really good tools. Okay, what has been your best mistake to date, i.e., or um, a setback that has given you the biggest feedback? Yeah, I would say it was it was probably a mistake more than anything, but some of the things that we talked about around personalization and being able to pull in a lot of that customer data um, was actually a mistake that we found in our code. So we had, in our, inside of our JavaScript, we realized that we were able to pull things that we had stored in our database in real time. So initially it was, hey, why is this accessible on the front end? Um, it was still all secure and served through SSL and things like that, but mm-hmm. we found it there, and then we realized we can run triggers based off of all the data that we have stored and act as that data pipe from like the influencer CRM that we have to things on the front end. So it was pretty awesome because it, it had us at the early stages of that one-to-one targeting that we've been talking about. Fantastic. Okay. Um, what one piece of advice can you give mid-tier retailers keen on doubling 2x in or even 3x in their e-commerce ventures yeah make sure all your newest initiatives are focused on mobile um like i said before if you can figure out mobile then you're going to have a leg up on anyone else out there i think desktop is pretty well established everyone knows what to expect and everyone's site kind of looks like amazon now but there isn't one mobile template that you can go after so you really need to focus on it and get get in front of that who do you think is doing it really well from a mobile st- from an e-tele standpoint um i i don't think amazon's doing it well i mean you can go on there and you can search and it's easy to check out and things like that but it's not really a delightful experience you're never surprised by it uh, i think the people who are doing it well aren't traditional e-commerce companies right now. So it's going to be people like um, Pinterest and Mm. uh, Uber and Postmates and people who are encapsulating all the power of a mobile device to make people's lives easier. Um, But I I, I don't know. I haven't really seen one that wowed me on a mobile device yet. And then from from an app perspective, really, when you think about it. Okay, if you could choose one single book or resource that has made the highest impact on how you're building your business and growth, which would it be? Yeah, so we're new to the whole SaaS game. Um, We didn't really build out a sales team until about 12 or 18 months ago. So 
the best resource that we found is a blog called Saster, S-A-A-S-T-R by Jason Limkin. Okay. Um, just because we're totally new to e-commerce, totally new to building out an enterprise sales team. Um, we know we have a great product and we want to make our clients happy, but understanding how to sell a SaaS solution is new to us. So it's been a really good resource. Good stuff. Shall link to it from the show notes. Finally, could you let our audience know how best to find and reach out to you? Yeah, uh, my email is chad, C-H-A-D, at adshoppers.com. And that's addshoppers.com. You can also find me on Twitter. It's just at Chad Ledford. And just search for me on LinkedIn if you want to find me there. Fantastic. I'll link to all that on all your profiles on um, the on the show notes. Um, Chad, it's been, well, first of all, thank you for, for your time, um, for taking out your time here. It's been an absolute, absolute pleasure speaking to you <clears throat> about um, e-commerce, your first e-commerce venture, and all the good stuff you're doing out at um, Ad Shoppers. Thank you for, for making it on 2X e-commerce. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Fantastic. So guys, thank you for sticking to the very end of the show and hope you found Chad's story about 3Taylor and then ad shoppers, as well as all the referral marketing tips and mobile tips he gave us um, inspiring. To download the show notes, just head over to 2xecommerce.com in about a week from, from now. And um, for updates on how to help grow your store, be sure to sign up to our email list on 2x ecommerce. Until the next show, do have a fantastic one. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2x ecommerce. To help you get more actionable insights and e-commerce growth hacks that will help you 2x your online retail business, hop over to 2xecommerce.com. It's a blog dedicated to e-commerce and multi-channel marketing run by the show's host, Kunle Campbell. 2xecommerce.com is packed full of articles and guides to help increase traffic to your store, increase repeat purchases, and average order value. Thanks for listening. Visit 2xecommerce.com.